My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Spoke. The Departure. The Second Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Violation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Unexpected. Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Answer. The Beginning. The Invasion. On this week's episode, The Invasion. <laughs> uh, this is the one where the Animorphs meet the Andalite and become the Animorphs. We talk all about morphing and the different aliens that live in this universe. As opposed to the later books, which are not about morphing or aliens. Right. This is actually the last book where anybody morphs. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> this Sorry, is a Greg. very misleading title. We talk a lot about default identity in middle grade and young adult literature. And, and the trope of the five-man band. Yeah. Yep. Great trope. In case people haven't read this book, Jenny, can you give me a quick plot summary? Oh, man. Can I? Okay. So there are five normal human teenagers coming home from the mall. They walk through a construction site they're not supposed to go through, and they find a UFO, and there's an alien who tells them that evil aliens, Yerks, are invading their planet and gives them the power to turn into animals so they can fight these aliens. And they're like, this is crazy. They run away from the construction site. The evil aliens show up and like eat the first alien, and it's terrible. They're like, this can't possibly be true, but they can turn into animals. They kind of play around with it. And then they figure out that Jake's older brother, Tom, has one of these evil aliens in his head. He is a controller. So they decide to go down to the Yerk pool, where the Yerks have to go every three days, to free Tom. And Jake follows their assistant principal, who's another controller in Blizzard Morph, and figures out there's an entrance to the Yerk pool under their school. So they go to the zoo and get all these crazy, powerful animal morphs. And they invade the Yerk pool, and they manage to free Tom, and they managed to free Cassie, who was just taken captive by this police officer who figured out that she, you know, was one of the Animorphs. But while they're trying to escape, there's are three morphs into the scary monster. They end up running for their lives. Tom doesn't get out with them. He's still a controller. And Tobias is stuck in the Yerk pool and ends up having to stay longer than two hours. And that's the downside of morphing. If you stay longer than two hours, you are trapped in that form. So Tobias is trapped as a bird forever. And that's the end of the book. So great. What did you think about this first book of the Animorphs? I loved it so much, you guys. Yay! I was yes. actually not expecting to. <laughs> really? Yeah, because it's just, it's a middle grade book, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't have the nostalgia factor that we talked about last time. But I loved it. I completely see what you saw in this. It's it's that team building thing. There's a mission. It was awesome. I'm I loved, so excited. I really, I liked the writing. I liked the plot. And it had actual moments of pathos and humor and I loved it so much. I'm super yeah. excited to read these. I Excellent. might have been like talking down the language a little bit more than it deserved. Yeah, I mean it's definitely a middle grade book, but yeah. it's charming. It's completely charming and I'm so excited about these. That's Hooray. great. That's great. And I have thoughts in all caps. We can start anywhere you want, but shall we start with Tobias getting turned into a bird forever? Yeah. Reactions okay. please gray. At the end of book one one of the five main characters turns into a bird. Yes, he does. Forever. <laughs> this child is no longer a human, but a bird. It's true. I understand that when you were telling me there were there were big stakes, right? The, the world was being invaded by aliens. I yeah. understand that. This book does not pull punches. It does not pull punches. It's so true. It's crazy. So... I had actually forgotten how much of that was there from this book. Like, yeah. I kind of thought that it gradually built up to, like, being Ooh. a real war parable. It's all it's all there. Like, this is one of the grimmer Animorphs books, probably, in, in totality. I was surprised. So I didn't read this book first. Like, I started with book four, and then I read book six. Like, I already knew Tobias was stuck in birth. Like, that was, like, part of the... The premise. Yeah, part of the premise for me. Mm-hmm. But I was really surprised reading it this time how much it is foreshadowed. Like, there are so many mentions of Tobias doesn't want to leave Bird Morph. Like, there's actually a line. It's like, I looked into Tobias's eyes. Like, it was the last time I would ever see them or something like that. Yeah, it's, did you pick up on any of that uh, when you were so reading it, Gray? so heavily foreshadowed. I knew that there was going to be, something was going to go wrong. 
I did not anticipate it being him being trapped forever. I definitely thought there was going to be, oh, this is going to be a recurring trope where Tobias almost doesn't change back in time. Mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. see that being something you play with. Maybe he's having too much fun or something happens and then all of a sudden, oh, no, you're not playing with it. That just happens. Like, what a choice. I feel like sometimes movies do this really well, where they'll kill off a character and then suddenly it'll be like, oh my god, anyone could die. Mm-hmm. And now it's like they, Tobias is stuck, anything could happen. Right. Yes. And I have some questions about that. <laughs> like, does him inhabiting the bird body bring him further away from his human consciousness? Well, that's a really interesting question, Gray, and maybe one will have to wait for like a book or two books, maybe two books to answer. What do you think? <laughs> okay. What do you think, Todd? Great. I think Jenny's right on the money. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you're onto something, Gray. We'll come back to that then, because there was something that came up a lot was the struggle between the human consciousness mm-hmm. and the animal mm-hmm. consciousness, which I think is a trope in fantasy books in which humans somehow take over an animal body either through changing into it or just taking over its consciousness that if you're there for too long you forget what it means to be human Mm. and so I can see that being something that they play with in really interesting ways right it's funny that it actually I'm not going to comment on Tobias but like with the rest of the morphing it actually kind of works the other way around, where the first time they morph, they have a really hard time mastering the animal's mind and, like, reasserting their own sense of self. And after that, they're used to the animal's consciousness and it's much easier. But it is a little different when you're stuck forever. Yeah, and I also thought they do a good job of covering that with Jake's morphing the dog. Because there's a little bit of the, like, oh, it's an animal that's easily at hand. You know, you're going to morph a cat and a dog to figure out how it works. It's like more Very understandable, familiar, comfortable relatable. Oh, like dogs are really excitable. But then at the beach later, he's like, actually, I'm super bummed out about the situation where my brother's an alien and maybe I'm going to have to kill him. And like, and he like, I don't can't know. handle the emotion. And then he's just like, yeah. I'll just be a dog for now. And he he's like, I'm going to check out, be happy, mm-hmm. let the dog help me. And I, you know, it really yeah. stood out. Given that Jake is dealing so much, like... I feel like he's. it's mostly like he's talking about fear and how scary everything is and how mm-hmm. you can possibly get through it. Mm-hmm. And so the dog is actually a really good first animal to help you out a little bit. I feel like that really parallels actually how the books deal with these really huge scary things happening, like someone being trapped as a bird forever. But they also manage to lighten it up really nicely with like humor and with the contrast mm-hmm. with their ordinary lives. And like I feel like we sort of get to take refuge in the happiness of... <laughs> Of banter, if not, you know, a dog's mind. Sure. That was like my main takeaway from this reread was that it really runs the gamut emotionally. Like oh, there's, yeah. there's just so much that's going on in terms of people being afraid and excited and this feeling of like awe when they're dealing with the aliens for the first time and also like they're all aware of how ridiculous it is. Mm-hmm. And then dealing with all of the different feelings that the animals have at the same time. I feel like that must have been what I found so compelling, what drew me in right away. Mm -hmm. It's just like there's so much to feel as you're living in these kids' heads. And it makes sense for that age group too, right? If you're hitting puberty, there's just a lot going on in your brain. Stakes are really high. There's a lot of emotions that you're dialing into that are unfamiliar and scary. And to have that be part of how these kids are interacting with the world and then place on top of that this war is hell trope is just completely fascinating. And I actually highlighted some of these lines about how how much she was impressing this point. Suddenly we were dealing with stuff that was way, way, way over our heads. I felt like I was agreeing to something awful, like I was volunteering for a trip to the dentist or something much worse. <laughs> it felt like a million pounds of weight had just landed on my shoulders. And I think that's so interesting that, the as you say, the stakes are high, But it's not just us looking from the outside and saying, oh my gosh, the world is being taken over. These kids are so aware of how awful everything is. It's crazy. And I feel like the fact that this is meant for that age group, like you were saying that kids that age have so many feelings and it's so crazy, but there's also, I feel like, a protected aspect of like the preteen slash teen mind where like this was more horrifying to read as an adult because I feel like when I was reading it the first time, none of it felt real. Like, it didn't Mm. feel like anything on this scale could happen in my life. And now I'm more aware that actually horrible things do happen in the real world. Like, they feel much more real to me. Mm. And I feel like 13-year-old me didn't really have that 
instinctive understanding that like, oh yeah, tragedy is real. I'm sure there are 13 year olds who do, but. That's a good point. Going back to something that you talked about with the animals and the animal consciousness, one thing I also noted was you can really tell how much the authors love animals. Mm. It's really present in the transformations. I mean, dogs and their happiness, even things like the lizard having the eyes on either side of its head and Jake Mm -hmm. having to figure out how to focus his sight. And the different skills animals have, smell versus sound versus sight, is very important. Well, that was like a motivating factor for her in coming up with this series, right? Like, she wanted to show that. And I feel like she really succeeded. Like, even now when I see a red-tailed hawk, I'm like, Tobias! (laughs) Like, I still have an emotional connection to the specific birds of prey that they morph in this series Mm. that I don't to, like, other birds of prey. Also, it's it's the only reason I know what a thermal is. (laughs) (laughs) It was actually funny, the things that I read this time around, and I was like, oh, I didn't get that reference when I was 13. I still don't get that reference. <laughs> What's <laughs> like, an example? What is a salad shooter? I have no idea. Like, the hork are always described this way. And I'm sure when I was 13, I was just like, oh, a thing I don't know about. Now I'm like, I still don't know about that. I didn't bother to look it up. I assumed it was like a like an infomercial thing where Probably, like you yeah. put some salad in and you push a button and it the knives like a salad go fly. Spinner. Oh, something like that. Oh yeah, that does sound like a horcruxer. That is one hundred percent what it is. <laughs> nice, great. Looked it up. Salad shooter retro commercial from nineteen ninety four, which we will be watching later. Oh, excellent. And posting in the show notes. So apparently these don't really exist now, which is why I didn't know what they were. Okay, I feel a little better about my awareness of the world. Great. <laughs> Have you looked at any art that? you know, shows what these creatures are supposed to look like. Because I, I would love to get your impressions on the descriptions of the aliens. I have not looked at any art. Great. There will be art incorporated into yeah. the actual books at some no. point. So I did start keeping track of the types of aliens referenced and my notes on what they look like. So the the Andalites are bright blue deer. Basically, with scorpion tails. Yeah. With scorpion tails. And apparently yeah. also tan? I always pictured them as blue, they, but that really stood out to me on the reread. They're always blue and tan, but I've always pictured them as blue. Are they like, what kind of horse pattern are we talking with the blue and tan? When you say it now, I'm picturing like a traditional cow pattern, <laughs> which is probably <laughs> not much accurate. less majestic if they have like cow spots. Yeah, no, I think this is why they were just always blue in my mind. I also feel like on the covers of things where they feature, right. they're just blue. Yeah. Right. I don't know what this yeah. tan just does. Anyway, I mean, there are... tan tangent. I guess I, I sort of was picturing it as sort of a dappled mm. pattern, but I don't That's know. nicer than my idea. Then there's the Yerks slugs. Yep. yep. Done. Easy. Hork-Bajir. Mm-hmm. Uh, those salad are the shooters. Ones, yeah, the salad shooters. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with Pokemon. Not very. Okay. They look like Scyther in my head. Oh, okay. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is sort of a bug with lots of sharp pokey bits. I think they're so. probably taller than you think they are. Or like more humanoid than you think they are. And or yeah. more like a chicken. I feel like <laughs> the chicken descriptor. Huh. Yeah, yeah, there's something sort of That's that bird reptilian type of thing going on. Okay, so they're both more humanoid and more like a chicken than I thought. <laughs> I will well, have to revisit that. I think that. they're like a chicken the way a dinosaur is like a chicken. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Not the way Maybe like, like raptors yeah. with lots of knives standing on two feet. Oh yeah, that's Scyther. That is what I picture. Oh yeah, I think they're Rather a than like two sharper. big knives, yeah. it's like dozens of little knives. And like yeah. more knives on their head. And okay. Like elbows and knees. Yeah. Hmm. More like Edward Scissorhands also. Interesting. you were imagining. Interesting. Okay. All but right. you can imagine them however you want to. That's until true. we get to the yeah. Hork-Bajir Chronicles. And then, the yeah, then you can look at the cover and be like, this is totally wrong, and feel betrayed. I can't wait. <laughs> and then the other one that got described were the taxons, the big evil centipedes. Very much picture them as a centipede from the James and the Giant Peach movie. Oh, like I never saw that movie. But that sounds about right. I kind of, like, sanitize the taxons in my mind as just centipedes, but they are, like, centipedes with, like, lobster claw hands and jello eyes. The jello eyes is just so <laughs> horrifying. I don't understand what that looks like, but I am very worried about it. 
And then there are two other monsters that Visser 3 morphs into. Mm. He has a lot of monsters. Yeah. I'm I would just say, probably not slight either. spoiler, yeah, don't worry too much about keeping track of his monsters. So I don't need to remember the yeah. Antarian bog. No, no. I don't think they ever go to Antares. <laughs> started keeping track because during the fight in the very beginning, there was the Andalite ship, and then there were bug fighters. Mm. And I thought they were TIE fighters, but bug fighters. Except <laughs> then it turned out that no, they were bugs. It was all very confusing which things I was meant to be associating with the weaponry and which things I was meant to be associating with individual aliens right. in the descriptions. Mm-hmm. So I started keeping track only because one of my notes was bug fighters, question mark? <laughs> Are these another kind of alien I should know? Or is it... Oh, no, I think it's no, the type it's of the ship. ship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So lots of kinds of aliens already. Yeah. Also, it's I always imagined bug fighters as being kind of small, but the Andalite ship is the size of three buses. Three times, no, Jake's mom's three minivans. Minivans, three minivans. And then bug fighters are even bigger than that. I liked how they picked a reference point. They're like, all the kids will know this. Right. Three times the size of a minivan. <laughs> Picture your mother's minivan. Now it's three of those with a scorpion tail. Did the difference between the two enslaved aliens stand out to you? Yes. Hork Bajir, good. Mm. Taken over by the Yerk, not happy about it. Mm-hmm. Taxons, evil. That is the only description. Yep. <laughs> Just evil. Okay with being taken over by the Yerks, mm-hmm. which seems unnecessary then, because wouldn't they just be helping the Yerks without needing to be taken over? Oh, but see, the Yerks would rather... Like, the goal of the Yerks taking over is to have bodies. So, I mean, if the taxons are helping them take over, the well, Yerks they... want to be in their bodies. Right. So, let's talk about the Yerks. <laughs> Couple things. One, this seems like a very inefficient way to take over anything. In general, crawling this system of, yeah, of invasion is Well, I mean, crawling into people's ears is the goal, not the method. Okay. But there, No, I want to hear more. Yeah, What's oh, your, yeah, what yeah. do you think the Yerk should be doing instead? Well, it, it's more that, I guess, what I'm a little bit confused about the goal that the mm-hmm. Yerks have. If the goal is just to have bodies, fine. But I, I was sort of imagining them as taking over one world at a time and kind mm-hmm. of propagating themselves, which is the only reason taking over the Earth makes any sense at all. Because there are other aliens that apparently breathe fire. That is a much cooler <laughs> alien to take over than humans. <laughs> just why are you not on that planet is a question I have. So I, I guess if the idea is they just want lots of bodies so that they can replicate and take over those bodies, fine, Earth has lots of people, that seems reasonable. But then what's the next step? Because at some point, you've taken over all of the people. Do you then move on to the next planet and take over that planet as well? Because then you might want different bodies. These are good questions. I feel like these are questions that are going to come up as we go through the series. Like, we do end up getting a lot more insight into their plan, what's been going on in this war up to this point. Hmm. But, you know, solid questions. The Yerks could use someone like you advising them. They seem disorganized. (laughs) What do you think about their strategy of starting a cult? (laughs) (laughs) The sharing in initial caps immediately (laughs) is like, oh, that's that's how we're doing this. (laughs) Okay. The sharing. Not a good sign. Not a good sign. No, I don't think it really registered with me like 20 years ago how much (laughs) that name is ridiculous. (laughs) Would you join something called the sharing? No, it sounds bad. It seems to work well for getting lots of teenagers on board. Except that also, on this beach party, the assistant principal and a cop are (laughs) hanging out with the kids. Which does not seem like a fun party to me. Seems like they haven't fully assimilated. Yeah. Maybe they don't quite understand how the kids work on this here planet. It's true. They're not specifically going after the kids. They're going after like all the generations at once, which is tough because kids often don't want to join stuff that's all generations at once. They're being very countercultural. They're really against our entire culture. (laughs) Quite literally. Yeah. The Yerks also, Tom... Is that the brother? Tom, yeah. The brother who is a controller. Yeah. At one point, while he is being controlled, he has a line where he talks about his brother. He's sort of throwing his brother under the bus Mm. a little bit. And he says, it might be the one who is my brother. 
What an interesting syntax, right? What a fascinating <laughs> syntactical way to put that. Like it could be anyone, but it might be the one who's my brother. Yes. It's it's so good for that like uncanny valley. Yeah. Like someone's taken over. It is. A it's really good. Which also leads me to wonder whether the yerk who infect an individual is always the same yerk who infects that individual. So when the yerk oh. comes out of Tom's ear and into the pool and gets mm-hmm. the magic tanning salon. <laughs> going down yeah. I mean and then goes back into his ear is it the same slug or are yeah. they connected yeah, yeah. that question it is, is answered yeah. it is it okay. is always the same because I think it would just be bad strategy if it wasn't unless they're all the same mind right? oh no Somehow. they're not okay I, that never gets addressed so I don't think that's yeah. that makes sense so what other thoughts did you have about the years this book I have a lot of thoughts but I want to hear your impressions did you come away with like a strong sense of who the five animorphs are Yes, because this is a band of five. Yes! Five-man band. It's yep. a five-man band. Yeah. I'm so delighted. I like when they tell me it's a five-man band by telling me who the leader is. <laughs> and the and leader the t- is, of course, the white boy. Well, yes. Obviously. <laughs> this Reluctant is hero. So, this is so, like, 90s, like, multi-racial cast, but, like, white leader. It was really, like... It was a... Th- I went and looked up to see if there was a list of groups of five individuals in the 90s fighting aliens. TV tropes? Oh. I looked at TV tropes. Specifically fighting aliens. Specifically fighting aliens, because I could think of three off the top of my head, and that seemed like... What are the other ones? The other ones are the Planeteers from Captain Planet and the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, as we discussed last time. I didn't know they fought aliens. Yes, both of whom fight aliens. And both of whom is a group of five, five-man band. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, they map to it so well. Let me see if I got this right. So I've got Jake is the leader. Oh, yeah. Then there's Marco, who is the lieutenant. And also the, the Lancer funny, is what I've heard The Lancer. Yeah. Lancer, yeah. lieutenant, bass guitar. Yes, funny man. bass guitar. <clears throat> He's that character. Then there's... This is also new to me. This is great. There's the leader, <laughs> whether that's lead vocals or lead guitar. Yeah. And then there's the second-in-command, yeah. usually comic relief for the foil to yep. the leader. So if the leader is very serious, he's very funny, mm-hmm. and so on. Tobias is the smart one. Yeah. Small and smart. Really small now. Now very tiny. So when I looked up on TV Tropes, part of it was like, he's the eyes in the air, so he like gives them the intelligence. Mm. And I was like, oh yeah, that, yeah. Yep. And he actually got this like thought package from the Andalite, so right. he, knows he now more. has the knowledge. He's yeah. the smart one. Very important. Then uh, Rachel is big and strong. Yep. Which I kind of love. Yeah, oh yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and then Cassie is the girl. Oh yeah, the heart. Kind, the, the yep. heart, the, yeah, but also the chick. Because there's yes. always one who's the chick, and it's Cassie. Oh, definitely. Um, 100%. And I, I love that they slot so easily into that trope in yeah. a way that almost makes them, they almost seem as though they are originators of the trope. They're not, but I love <laughs> no. that. And clearly, like, Kay Applegate, that writing pair, like, they knew what they were doing. Like, they wrote these five characters that, like, worked together really well. They balanced really well. They were established right from the start. Mm-hmm. There yeah. was no, like, dilly-dallying around with, like, oh, but I don't know who this... No, they knew exactly who they were. It was great. And th- there aren't even that many scenes of them all hanging out. There's kind of, like, the beginning and then two conversations. But all the dynamics... It's done instantly, yeah. Yeah. It's are so there well right done. from the beginning. And there were a couple of hints of where the romance mm, in the mm-hmm, five-man band will mm-hmm. be. Wait, More so hints what's, than I remember. What's your prediction? We won't say anything, but like, what do you think is going to happen? Okay, so Cassie and Jake get together, obviously. But what I thought was interesting was Rachel and Tobias seem to have a really strong bond going into this, which I was, which was like kind of surprising, right? Because she's the like strong, popular one, and he's uh-huh. the weirdo nerd. Uh-huh. Often those two get together, but not always. And I thought that was really great. But now Tobias is a bird, so that seems like it's going to put yeah, a damper on. I thought there were a lot more <laughs> Rachel Tobias moments in this book than I expected. Yeah. That stood out to me rereading it. Certainly, when I reread it at the time, I think I had already noticed them, but yeah, much more so than I did. The first time I read them. It's a real bummer. Yeah. Because he's a yeah. bird now. He is a bird now. It is true. I will say, going back to that, I wasn't sure if they foreshadowed it so much because it was sort of like, oh, otherwise it comes out of nowhere. Or I felt almost like they had the directive or like they had the sense that like we should try to make this as untragic as possible because it is a kid's book. And they were like, they're not going to like this, that like this guy turns into a bird forever. So it was like, oh, he wants to be a bird forever. He has no family. Yeah, that did not make it less sad. But it also, like, what a weird... It was such an anticlimactic tragedy. Like, he doesn't turn into a bird for any reason. Like, it's not a sacrifice in the Yeah, I went back to look. They don't even mention that he's, like, trapped. No, they forget about him. They're all just running away as fast as possible. He rescues Cassie, and that's the Mm -hmm. last you see of him. Yeah, and then Jake is very casually... 
calling around to see if everyone's alive. Just yep. I thought I'd ring them and see. <laughs> hey, Doesn't call Tobias. Still alive. Couldn't get a hold of Tobias because he's a bird. Like, yeah. It was very weird. That whole scene was just, it was so chaotic. The mm-hmm. whole scene at the end of the year pool. Thing. They well, save this woman, but it's such who is a failure. She? What happens to her? A lot of aliens and humans die, or possibly just get retaken by the year. Mm-hmm. Things no, are on fire. They die. That oh, was another yeah. thing. Yeah. I was trying to. I was trying to think like, oh, well, like when does it, they start tallying up the the cost of the war? First book. Right. <laughs> it's like Rachel morphs into an elephant, immediately kills several aliens, and throws a man across the room, and you don't see where he lands. Yeah. Cassie at the end is like, we don't have to worry about that policeman anymore. Yep. Did she kill him? Did she just right. see him die? Like, what happened there? Yeah, you're right that it is a total failure. This mission, like, they do save Cassie, but like, it's not just setting the stakes with Tobias. It's also setting the difficulty of like oh we thought we could do something about this but this is a like the size of the Europool alone like this is monumental right it's a hellmouth yeah it's a hell they have a hellmouth under their school yes the 90s I was thinking when we were talking about the range from like humor to like devastation in these books and even in this first book I don't know if it's like I loved this so much because that works so well for me that contrast or if the fact that that contrast is here set me up for so many other things I would love, like that is absolutely Buffy. Like Buffy has mm. those extremes and that is what gives it its power. And I think the same is true of these. Like, yeah. That's a really good comparison. But it just, it feels more, not real, I guess, but more urgent than Buffy did in some mm, ways. Mm-hmm. Well, Buffy, it's not like the vampires are suddenly here and going to take over the world. There have always been vampires. Like mm-hmm. here, the Andalites, like, we can come back in a year, but by then the planet will be taken. Right. Yeah. Which I actually, I hadn't <clears> remembered <throat> that, that they gave it a time frame. And also, it made me realize, like, how much the Animorphs do that they're able to, like, stretch things out. Hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the things that jumped out was the sense of duty that they have almost right out of the gate. That, mm-hmm. like, there is a little bit, you know, some of them are more reluctant than others. Marco's but like, Let's they're basically see. like, well, of course we'll try and save the world. Like, I guess, you know, it's our bad luck yeah. that we're in the situation, <laughs> but they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was also something that was, like, very, it seems, again, super crazy looking at it as an adult. But I think at the time it was also like well yeah of course i mean well yeah but also like aliens to take over the world if well part of it's that they're like book characters but like you couldn't have sympathetic characters that did anything else Mm -hmm. like i was thinking a little bit about the role that the point of view has in the book plots like obviously i mean you'll see this great but like the books are you know whoever's point of view it is like the book is chosen to fit that you know so that that person has more of a prominent role in the book Mm -hmm. but also i feel like in scenes like where they're watching the end like get killed and they're all just watching. And then, like, Jake jumps up and does something about it. If this wasn't Jake's point of view, I bet he isn't the one who would have done that. Mm. I was reading, I was like, oh, yeah, I bet they were all feeling too passive. And, like, they needed a character to do something. And it's his book, so he's the one who does something. Mm. Let's talk about Jake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is your sense of who he is? I, I feel like Jake is the stereotypical, just a normal teenager. Yeah. <laughs> and he's yeah. set up so perfectly. He doesn't that. really have much of a personality beyond that he in this book. He does not. He hangs out at the mall. Likes basketball. Likes basketball. Not great at not it. Not great at it. He's not the sports star. Not great at video games. He's distracted he's right by thinking about games. basketball. No, but he has that. This is the thing that jumped out to me as being very Jake. When mm-hmm. they're sort of rallying towards the end, they're sort of like talking about how hopeless it is. And Marco's like, it's some like video game that you can't win. And Jake's like, actually, I'm pretty good at video games. <laughs> it's just like a little bit where he's like a little bit arrogant about it. Cocksure teen. Yeah. And I guess maybe that's similar to his big hero moment where he's like feels compelled to, mm-hmm. you know, get himself killed, saving the Andalite. I felt like that was, like, a little bit of his personality. But otherwise, he's, like, the every team. But, yeah, yeah, he's also, like, you think of Marco as the funny one, which is definitely true. But Jake is also really funny, like, in his narration and out loud to his friends. Like, when Marco's driving the golf cart away, and he's like, no, no, I'm fine, thanks. (laughs) It was really, that whole sequence was hilarious, despite them almost getting eaten by a tiger. Right. The tiger scene was so fantastic. (laughs) I mean, just, and then I sat down, and there was something warm (laughs) against my butt. What? There were so many times in this book when I laughed out loud. I also love the detail. They get through the tiger thing, and none of the other animals like, believe them or care that that happened. They're like, They're what like, took you so long? Yeah, like... Stop goofing around, Jake. Which, why? You guys are, you were all at that zoo together. Why are you disbelieving each other now? You've been through some crazy stuff. This is not the craziest thing that's happened to you this week. No, right. definitely not. Yeah, he, he does seem a little bit like, just 
every teen. And I'm wondering how different the other perspectives will be in that way. Mm. Because the nice thing about having Jake as the every teen be the introductory narrator is that there's nothing that particularly stands out about him that would either allow you to connect more deeply with him or not to connect with him at all from a a sort of general perspective, right? In some ways, he's sort of defaulted, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is a whole other conversation about the problem (laughs) with defaults in literature, but that's how he's written. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't have that conversation. (laughs) Yeah, I want to get into that, but I think the other thing about Jake is he has the situation with Tom, which is a really, like, that's not so much about him, but it is like a very immediate thing, and he has to grapple with the stakes in a more personal way Mm -hmm. right away than any of the other characters do. And one thing I love that we'll come to see is like the different ways in which the fight is made very personal for the different characters. Right. And yeah, Tom being a controller is such a strong and immediate one for Jake. Mm-hmm. It's easy to connect with as the stakes because you can be sitting there as a kid and be like, what if my sibling? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The last thing that I want to mention is one of my first notes is, oh no, the alien dies? You did not tell me that. Aww. Because I was really sad that the alien died. I liked him. Okay, that alien did not have to die. (laughs) All right. There are a lot of things in this book, which I recognize it was the first book. They had to kill the alien because he can't be hanging around. They have to fight on their own. You have to kill the Dumbledore character. Spoilers for Harry Potter. <laughs> you, all right. You have let's to. Just, yeah, let's get all the spoilers you, out. You have to kill. Those Potter figures, they're going to die. Oh, no. <laughs> like, you have to kill the alien. But also, it's a Morphrules thing. It actually, the, the book screws it oh, up again. Oh, we got again. into it with the tail, right? The lizard's tail? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he loses, the lizard loses his tail, but mm-hmm. Jake isn't hurt, right? Yeah. And he can remorph that lizard and have a tail. So, in theory, the Andalite is like, oh, I'm dying. Except he has this energy to have this conversation with them, give them morphing power, and then, like, try to fight Viscer 3 with his tail. Like, he had the energy to morph. That's a good point. I feel like they say, like, if you've been morphing all day, it gets harder and harder and harder. So I don't necessarily yeah. know. And there he could also, be some story. I was going to say maybe it's the opposite, where, like, he's, like, battling in space. He's probably not morphing to do it. He probably doesn't have a lot of morphing experience. Maybe it would have taken more effort for him. Mm. Maybe it just wasn't something he could easily right. reach. And maybe he was in too much pain to get into the sort of meditative state yeah, that one yeah, needs in order to morph, apparently. I also think, because there were a couple of other things. Like, oh, yeah. Tobias's finger still hurts after he's been morphing the cat. Oh, I didn't even notice that. He, like, puts his finger in his mouth again. Oh. And then there's the thought speak thing. The that thought speak thing scene, where Jake another, thought like... speaks while human never happens again. I'm sorry, right. what? In the scene where Tobias morphs into a cat for the first time in front of Jake and thought speaks to Jake, Jake is like, oh, can I try that? And he tries it, and Tobias hears his thoughts, which never happens again. No one who right. is... And the, and the Andalite also says in the beginning, don't think at Viscer 3 because yep. he can hear yeah. you. I think they just hadn't quite figured out the right. rules so yet. that's we'll find out yeah. later, but that's actually, that never happens again for the first time. And the one, thing where Elfengor like, sends a bunch of pictures to their minds and then to Tobias's mind, he does like the info dump, is very useful narratively and like a really great device, but I don't know if that ever happens again. I don't think it does. Yeah, it might be like he's more advanced at like thought speech or whatever. Right. This may be a difference between, I'm reading the newer version, but Mm -hmm. in mine, he can't talk to Tobias in his (gasps) They fixed it! So you're reading the revised, the reprint. (gasps) They changed it for the reprint. We reread the original. That's fascinating. So yeah, okay, the version you read doesn't have any of these problems we were just complaining about. Although I do still remember the don't think at him, but um, this was... I'm talking to a cat, I realized, and I thought Tobias was crazy. I wondered if Tobias had heard my thought. I concentrated. And then italics, not brackets. Tobias, can you hear me? He didn't respond. I just thought something at you. Did you hear me, I asked? Thought speech. No, I don't think it works that way. You have to be morphed first. Hey, watch this. Um, Okay, like, on some level I approve of this, but I also feel betrayed. Like, sure. Well, but they didn't, Elfangor doesn't get the out of, like... If they didn't fix that somehow, mm, right? He yeah. was still like, oh, I'm too in yeah. pain to <laughs> That is, yeah, he definitely does not <clears throat> say yeah. that. And I wonder, too, so Elfangor, which is the most amazing Tolkien-esque name. Elfangor Cyrenial Shemtul. Yes, I love it a lot. There are a lot of Tolkien things. Yeah, it's so good. It's he mentions to them that there are limitations, there are problems, and dangers. Yep. But I don't have time to tell you about them right now. And so I wonder if one of these unspoken limitations is the thing that keeps him from morphing to save his life. Like maybe if you're mortally injured in one form, you can't change into a different form. We will get into that more. There's at least one other example of like them forgetting how the rules work that I can think of. Great. 
Yeah, good. I would love to hear more of your thoughts on the reread of this one. Oh, one thing I was wondering. So when Jake morphs Homer, there were actually a couple things with that where he like has Homer's memories. Which oh yeah, the animal never, memories. Is yeah, also, did that happen in your version or did they fix that? It's like Homer knew the dog that like Tobias smelled yes, like. Yes, that does happen. Yeah, okay. that's. I don't think that's ever a thing that's again. That's not how DNA works, but nope. sure. <laughs> right. No, there are no DNA memories after this book. As far yeah, as I no. And then the other thing in that scene was that Tom smelled weird, which I was like, if dogs can smell controllers, why don't they just go around smelling everyone? <laughs> it's like, I'm pretty sure that never comes up. They do, like, dogs I thought it was a construction smell. site thing. I thought that was the reference. Like, maybe oh, he'd been to the construction site. maybe. No, I'm okay. pretty sure it was that he smells different, because he talked about it again later, that Tom has the weird smell. Yeah, I feel like that was just sort of overreaching and, like, trying mm. to foreshadow that, like, something's wrong with Tom, but, like, giving dogs the power to smell yurks, which I don't think ever happens again. Because that would be so handy. I know, but I'm pretty sure it's not a thing. Other things that were convenient, Cassie's parents and their jobs. Yes. Way to work that in right away. It gets even more well, convenient. And just the zoo. Wait. Yeah. Right. Well, they, that's what she's talking yeah, about. One is oh, the, oh, I see. So I a, thought you were talking about the clinic. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. The we two, haven't even right? gotten to the usefulness of the clinic, really. There's the wildlife rehabilitation clinic. Great. Mm-hmm. So there's any kind of injured animal except pet type animals. And then the mom works at the zoo. Yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> well done working that in right away. Many of my questions about how exactly they were going to get to turn into... A gorilla, apparently. Yeah. Our answer. Gorilla warfare, Greg. You can cut that if you want. You have I'm the power. I'm not going to. <laughs> Leave it in. <clears throat> Did you think morphing was super gross? No. Do you know what I thought was super gross? Eating the spider. Yes. <laughs> that oh, was it was so, so bad. gross. That whole chapter is a nightmare. <laughs> Poor Jake. Awful. He was also horrified. It was so gross. How the did they describe it? A whole. Ca- it's still whole alive. As oh, it was like something? kicking in his stomach. Yes. All the way down his throat and into his stomach. And I hated every minute of the description of it. It was the worst. Oh, I will say, when they got to the part where like, it felt like it should hurt, but it didn't. Like when you're at the dentist and you have Novocaine, I was like, this metaphor is my childhood. They, they use this metaphor so much. I have so much fondness for it. I'm glad that they used it again. I honestly was expecting it to be grosser. Mm. It's like, I could feel my bones shrinking. Like, great. As long as they're not cracking, I have no problem with your bones shrinking. That's fine. But then it was the next chapter where the spider came up, and I was like, oh, no, no longer okay with these descriptions. <laughs> All right. We know where Grace Limit is. We'll see how many times the series brushes up against it. I'm going to read this just because it was so gross. So the lizard snaps the spider, which is, by the way, huge to him. You're going to read it again? What? I'm going to read it out loud to you so you can be as disgusted as I am. I I already read it. Okay. I could feel it fighting. I could feel the spider's legs squirming and fighting to get out of my mouth. I tried to spit it out, but I couldn't. The lizard's hunger for the spider was too great. I swallowed the spider. It was like swallowing a whole canned ham. (laughs) A canned ham that was fighting all the way down. That's so horrible. I'm not going to say I like that description, but I don't think it bothers me at the same level that it's bothering you guys. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't know. It's really gross. Also, (laughs) then like the next page, she says, I tried not to think about the spider in my stomach or the fact that it was still not completely dead. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's just hilarious. (laughs) Ew. (laughs) Anyway. So enjoy how this is obviously the 90s in phone times. Like, they're calling around. (laughs) You know, they're on the extension. Someone might be listening. I'm really bummed that this doesn't take place in the age of text messages because I would love to know what kind of text code they would develop to all text each other for, like, you know, time to go on, like, a secret mission against the Yerks, but you can't put that text. Like, someone might be watching. I'm sure they would have, like, emoji code. and I like it. Yeah. I was going to say, like, yeah, it'd be great if they had, like, a group text Oh, they would definitely have a group text, yeah. With, I think like, they lots do of use the internet things. later, right? There they do. Some, they definitely some good use internet the internet moments. later. There's some good, like, early internet moments. Right. Excellent. There's some chat rooms. Spoiler gray. Oh, I can't Chat wait. rooms come up. I did like the phone call thing, because it just, it does remind me of being around this age. Yeah. And I was always the person tasked with calling the group of friends to Aww. tell everyone when we were going to meet. You're so organized. Were you <laughs> a mall rat, like these kids? I was not. We did not have a mall, but we did have the local coffee shop where we hung out every weekend, much to the disgust of the baristas. And I had every person in our friend group, I knew all of their phone numbers. And Yeah, so, I used to have everyone's number yeah, memorized. I still know my best friend from high school's parents' house. Whoa. I can call them at any point. <laughs> 
them, my parents, he won't be there, and the but... local movie theater. That's it. <laughs> Anybody else? I, I remember my old home number and the bookstore number because I used to call to see if the latest Animorphs book was in. Perfect. Willow Books in Acton, Massachusetts, not there anymore. But 978-266-0066. Yeah, there could just be a feature of this podcast where I do weird memory things based on my extreme obsession. <laughs> I love yes, it. Please. I don't know if there are going to be any other things, but yeah. I'm sure they'll come up and I can't wait. So far, I appreciate your faith in my weird obsession yeah. memory. Yeah. Okay, other thoughts that you guys had? I did notice that the first time I read this series, in fact, the only times I've read the series before now, I did not yet have slash goggles. So if you're not familiar with this term, this is when you are thinking about the potential for slashy relationships. And so when you read or watch a thing, you're like, oh yeah, those two. Which like, these books are not very slashy, but there was definitely some like Jake Tobias stuff where I was like, Jake was like, yeah, I guess we're sort of friends now, but he knows Tobias's cat really well. Oh. Yeah, I was like, what is this friendship here? Like, I, you're I kind of denying that. it, and yet... And all, like, talking about his eyes, his, mm. his dreamy eyes, how he's always looking at the stars. <laughs> Did he call his eyes dreamy? I don't know. He also knows a lot about Tobias's personal life for yes. a casual acquaintance. Yes, <laughs> for someone who, like, saved him from bullies once, and Tobias was like, so maybe I'll walk home with you guys. Like, maybe they're not really firmly friends. And yet... Just putting that out there. So he could also be enough of like a weirdo at the school that everyone just talks mm, about his that's situation. True. But probably everyone doesn't talk about his cat dude. That's true. <laughs> Which yeah, is a great cat name. Yeah, the animal really names great. are great in this. Yeah. Is Slash specific to non-canonical romances? Like Cassie and Jake clearly going to get together at some point. Is that so, a Slash? Slash is usually used for male-male pairings, and oh. Femslash is used for female-female pairings, the things um, right. which is sort of based in the history of fandom. Like, obviously, there's not a lot of parody there. But yeah, you wouldn't call it Slash if it were heterosexual. Hmm. You would call it het. Fascinating. Yeah. Can you ship a Slash? Yes, you can ship a slash pairing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look at all of the words I know on the internet. <laughs> so you could decide you wanted to ship Jake and Tobias if you wanted to. Great. Maybe I'll decide that. Okay. So something else that stood out, as we talked about at the beginning, Tobias's role in the group is forever changed. But I think mm-hmm. he, he stands out so much in this book as being the driving force mm, behind yeah. everything that happens. Mm-hmm. And like the moment where he's like, Jake, you're the leader, it falls kind of flat in terms of like Ooh. Jake having proven himself. But actually in terms of Tobias being like, I can't get these kids together, but I know who can. Yeah. Like, I'm going to give Jake a pep talk. It really works that way. It's like way. the power behind yeah. the throne here. Yeah, he's... and he's most in it from the beginning. I mean, he oh, sort yeah. of has the least to lose because he's like, of course he wants to be whisked away from his terrible mm-hmm. home but life. But strong moral compass. Right? He yeah. knows right. the right thing but to do. But it really do. stands out. And then, like, it makes it even more tragic that now yeah. I could see a version where he's the leader of the Animorphs, but now he's in. Oh. He's kind of relegated to this Yeah, this I feel role. like if Jake weren't there, if there wasn't this sort of leadershipy type like this default teenage boy right and of course Tobias is the other white boy which is (laughs) that's true but he's the less privileged white boy right should we talk about the like stereotypes more Cassie is one of my favorite animorphs but it set off a lot of alarm bells reading the way that she's introduced she's almost mystical right she has a sort of mystical characteristic which is a little bit softened I think by the fact that then she's immediately of like viable love interest for Jake right but like that's problematic mystical black girl yeah also I had never picked up on that before she's the one in the group who does the emotional labor that's like her role Uh in the five-man band and so like I think they all become like fully fledged characters yeah. as it goes on. And I think that isn't typically, mm-hmm. if there is a black woman in the group, she's not typically the chick, chick the as heart. we're calling yeah. it. Um, please note the air quotes around that <laughs> way. I saw them. I could hear them. They're Great. In voice. As long as you can hear them. Something that stood out to me was that, so Rachel is blonde hair, blue eyes, right? And then Cassie is black, short hair, quiet. But two paragraphs later, he says, Rachel may look like Little Miss Teen Model or whatever, but she thinks she's Storm from the X-Men, which is awesome because (laughs) that is not typically the comparison you would get from the popular blonde girl, Mm -hmm. right? That she sees herself as this kick-ass black woman from the comics. It does really feel like that was a deliberate choice to have the one who looks very traditionally girly and feminine be the one who's like badass Mm -hmm. and the one who has short hair. That she's, yeah, exactly. She 
she's not girly, but mm. she is the one who sort of has the, the girly role. It felt very like 90s, like the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella with Brandy and Whitney Houston, like, you know, the deliberate casting of multiple mm. races, like yeah, the way, sure. very Carmen Sandiego. And I do think that this really does harken back a little bit to some of the other purposely diverse groups mm-hmm. in that same time period. So again, I mentioned earlier, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and Captain Planet and the Planeteers, both mm-hmm. of which were super deliberately diverse in good and bad ways, in some ways that were incredibly stereotypical and racist, but Mm. in some ways that were important in getting that sort of first representation of diversity Mm -hmm. on the screen was huge and incredibly important and good. It would be better had they done it in a better way, (laughs) right? Yeah, I do feel like a big failing of these books, which I guess you don't really see much in this book, but just like in the series as a whole, I mean, you still don't see it, is that they don't ever get into what race means in any of the kids' Mm -hmm. lives. It's completely irrelevant. Like, it was very much part of the, like, colorblind as the ideal type of push against Mm -hmm. racism. And that's a huge... It's a little short-sighted, but... Yeah, and, and the colorblindness in the 90s is its own topic in a really interesting and horrible way. So if you want to read more about this, I highly recommend Michelle Alexander's New Jim Crow. She talks about the way colorblindness led into more racism being part of a sort of quieter and therefore hard to fight against Mm. system. And it's very powerful. And I think things like this, you know, play into that, where in the 90s, we're like, no, we're all going to get along and not see race. So we can have these diverse groups and then never talk about it. And that also leads into a little bit of what we were talking about earlier with the idea of the default and what that means in children's literature and the stage and screen and all of those things, because I think it's important. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I don't have anything very interesting to say about it, maybe just because the things I have to say about it, I've already thought about so much that they feel really obvious to me. (laughs) But like, Yeah, I'd like to... Just the idea that... You know, the idea that there is a neutral, that, like, white middle-class male, I'd say the male a little bit less than than the white and middle-class, but is sort of, like, the colorless type of book character, and that anything else, that is part of what the book is about. Like, oh, this is a book about, like, a black character or something. Like I said, this feels really... No, (laughs) I think that's exactly right. Um, Also, so that it's it's limiting, it's, like, how do you see it playing out? the idea that, like... A book about a middle-class white straight man is a book for everyone, and a book about, you know, a lower-class queer woman of color is, like, an issues book or, like, a book for that type of person. That already feels like, oh, there have been so many things layered onto this character, which is not, of course, how people work. And it's an important note for children's literature in particular where, having worked as a children's librarian, often what you get is people coming in and saying... You know, I'm looking for a book for my daughter, and she'll read anything. And then you mm. get someone coming in and saying, I'm looking for a book for my son. He will only read books about boys. You cannot give me a book where the main character is a woman. And that's just, it's part of how our culture has kind of trained children to see the world. And the idea that the default is white, middle class, typically a man, means that we can talk about Jake being the everyman teen when demographically that's not true yeah but it feels like that's some sort of in the world of children's literature in the world of media and culture in america western civilization today that is the default every teen even though probably probably not a majority would not be the majority i mean at least you know half the country's female so right for starters so it gets into the idea that women and people of color have to see themselves in white characters and white people don't have to see themselves in people of color or in women yeah. and it's being addressed slowly but it's going to take a huge culture shift before the default that everyone can see themselves in is not jake but is instead cassie it's a whole thing and, and i think it's great to see what the world could be like if colorblindness was actually a thing, but it's not. So I <clears throat> wish there were more nuance. Yeah, I'm really interested to see whether the books do any lifting as it goes on. They switch through the points of view. Yeah. I think another thing to track is with all the war stuff they do, there is like a, a lot of variety in the like real world things that they riff on. But in thinking about it, I don't think there's any alien species with race differences in them, Mm. right? So, like, they do have kind of, like, aliens fighting aliens, and they do, there's, like, 
a pretty extended Vietnam riff at one point. There is a book where they get into Civil War stuff. It'll be interesting to see kind of how they handle that when it comes up. I'm so excited to see how the Civil War plays into yeah. the Animorphs. Are you? <laughs> I know your expectations. How, how is that going to happen? So I want to go back just a little bit. I just wanted to comment, based on what you were saying, Gray, about like the problems of sort of the default in children's literature. I feel like there is sort of a tension in how to address it because there is sort of the idea of the colorblind as one form of the ideal, but of course that has its own problems. I'm thinking of this really great article I read years ago to the point where I'm not going to be able to cite it. I think it was something about like dogs and Smurfs was like the. Did you read this? Yes, yeah, it is. It's dogs and it's um okay. good. You can look it up Fill while I talk. And then, yeah, uh, it was written by this guy who I think had a little kid, and I think he was reading to her. I think it was a girl, and he was noticing that so many of these kids' books, you know, there's like there's one Smurf whose trait is that she's a girl. And maybe there's like a second one introduced years later, but like mostly it was like there was Smurfette and she was the girl. And he also noticed that in kids' books, whenever there are animals, they're just default male. Like he cited this one book he read about a penguin who was called It throughout the book, except like 50 pages in, it was he, like once. And no one had noticed it. This was like an acclaimed children's book. It had, of course, been edited. And no one picked up on the fact that this penguin was called He. And the reason for that would be that they were already thinking of it as male. Right. Because it didn't have a gender, so that made it male. And so he had started doing things like reading The Hobbit aloud to his daughter and just changing the gender of some of the characters, like just having them be casually female. This is sort of where the tension comes in, because I think it's wonderful to take characters that weren't written as female, meaning there was no danger of them falling into female tropes that we all like unconsciously have of certain ways that women act and are treated in books which are not true to real life or are only true to real life because we're socialized into them. So I think it is wonderful to have things like, I think it was Alien, where the main character was originally written as a male character, and they just mm. made it a female character, and like because of that, she is in many ways a more interesting character than they would have made her if they'd made her originally a female. But of course, then you don't end up digging into any of the actual like issues. It's less real. Yeah, it ends up not being actually rooted in reality. So I don't know. I well, feel so, like you need some of both. So we've been sort of talking about uh, dancing around the idea that like, well, this is of its time. Mm-hmm. It's a very 90s thing. So what if you wrote this five-man band today? Could you get away with it? What would be different? Is there anything like this that's trying to live in? I feel like, I mean, you could certainly write a five-man band with these characters, but the idea that they Could you get away with the of... default, the defaultness? like this i feel like probably someone writing it today if they were a certain type of writer if they were progressive and consciously thinking about these things would not have the leader be a white man or boy in this case but i feel like you could still have this mix maybe but in this situation where they all have so many tensions in their lives the fact that the tensions never include any racism as far as i can recall is very unrealistic in a way i feel like you wouldn't encounter today i think in a lot of ways hopefully we would see racism being part of this. Even if you had the same five characters, one of the things that would be a source of conflict within the band and within the world that they're living in would be discussions of class and race and sexuality. And that you know you might see more of those issues being brought in, hopefully in a, in a sort of nuanced and mm-hmm. compassionate way, but not always, we're not perfect. But I think that's something you'd almost have to have. Because they already have it for, like, feminism. Like, it's, like, the first chapter where Jake's like, you girls should walk home alone, and Rachel calls him on it. And I don't remember, it's possible I'm wrong, but I don't think that kind of thing ever comes up for race. Like, it's just not even Mm. on the radar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're right also about sexuality. I mean, sexuality, gender identity. I feel like there are opportunities to explore gender identity that are not taken. I'm sure they just didn't occur to the others. Is there anything else we want to say about... Uh, the first book, The Invasion. I love it when young adult and middle grade authors write about their characters swearing without <laughs> saying yes. what they're saying because it just my imagination can run with it. I, really it's I love so the great. idea of Rachel shouting, "You mother, <laughs> stay away from my cousin!" <laughs> yeah, she and said some words like, oh I didn't know God. Rachel knew. Because <laughs> also remember being that age and being like, "That's whoa, I didn't know that swear." <laughs> you were allowed to say that out loud. One of my thoughts was the some of the stuff that happens in this book with like Cassie getting caught by the cop, like they are so careless in this book 
I can't believe they didn't get caught. Right. And then and Jake's like, Cassie told me to practice the morph, but I didn't. Whoops. <laughs> I feel like some of it actually like makes sense though, unlike the thing about the end light morphing, which I still think. Right. He almost he tells Tom it. like three times. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like because the Yerks don't really know they're there yet, they have mm. some leeway. Like the Yerks aren't really looking for them yet. Because um, the Yerks think that they are Andalites, yes. not kids. Yes. Oh, yeah. Very key. Very key. Yeah. Oh, I also really want to mention, because it was so insignificant in the book, the homeless guy. The homeless guy in the construction site. I did not even remember that happened. Yep. First casualty. Yeah. Jake's like, I hope that guy made it out okay. He did not make it out okay. No, and Jake, who was, like, the hero, didn't do anything. I mean, it's understandable that he didn't do anything to try to save him. He was terrified and 13 and running for his life. But like, he's just like, oh, well, that guy got the alien's attention. Hope he's okay. Definitely not okay. But then, I mean, the next he he is like, he's up all night. He has nightmares. He's like clearly suffering a lot. It's true. Yeah, that, that really stood out to me. And it also stood out to me just in that if you would ask me to narrate this book, there is a 0% chance that would have been in there. Hmm. The first human to die, most likely, right. didn't even register. Because, like, I don't think I saw homeless people as people. Hmm. And it seems like maybe the mentality of the book also... I mean, it's kind of casual about some of the other deaths later, too, but... Sure. Well, and at one point, the Yerks are discussing if it's Jake, what to do about him. Mm-hmm. And the Yerk that is Tom is like, yeah, you just kill him. <laughs> nice syntax. And the Yerk that is the assistant principal says, we can't just start killing kids. People will notice. Mm-hmm. Huh? A bunch of people are dying in this are book. Dying. Hopefully yeah. someone will notice. But they hadn't died. I mean, it was the homeless person had probably died. But the invasion of the Yerkul hadn't happened yet. I bet, I don't think the Yerks had had anything like that happen because who was going to stand? No one knew they were there. So I think, I mean, they're very much trying to stay undercover. I think they probably did have to do some cover up. They probably, that one woman who made it out, they probably tracked her down and killed her. Right. I don't actually remember if that comes up, if they even mention her. I don't think they do because, like, it's a really weird loose end. Maybe they didn't know she got out, but like I'm sure they knew the identities of all of the controllers who died, and they right. probably followed up on all of them. Right. And if they found out, I hope she like got on a bus across the country and like right. with a bunch of cash or something. They're taking over the whole world. They will yeah. find her. Wait, Starting so a couple in more questions. California. We didn't talk about Visser Three. Did Visser Three make oh. an impression on you? Visser Three. Visser Three. <laughs> Sounds like he did. I have so many concerns about him because. <laughs> Okay, this is another one of those sort of young adult fantasy and sci-fi tropes where the most interesting part of the story has nothing to do with the books. Because frankly, I loved this book, but also I would really love to have a whole nother series about Visser 3 and his relation (laughs) to this Andalite prince thing and how all of that happened and who his family is and is one wow, of his children. Wow, we definitely won't ever get that book in any way. Sorry, Gray. Sorry, Gray. Jenny is being sarcastic. <laughs> all you have to do is keep reading and keep I'm podcasting so and we will get there. Because does one of the Andalite Prince's children come back for revenge? Uh, see, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. That is what I hope happens because I want all of that backstory. Also, Visser 3, not his real name. <laughs> must be a title because he wants to become Visser One. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is a stupid system. I just love he's like he's like the classic like evil sadist villain and also like petty bureaucrat rolled mm-hmm. into one. Yeah, he's Darth Vader. Yeah. He's just he is just Darth Vader. He's coming to make sure that the construction is proceeding apace. <laughs> And if it's not, he's going to choke some guys. Well, and he has an even is, worse sense of humor like, than Darth Vader, This is one of the wonderful <laughs> things about like middle grade fiction that, I mean, obviously some of the kids like have seen Star Wars or whatever. I had not. But at this age, people haven't been exposed to these tropes that many times. And I loved how they so, called out Star Trek right in the beginning. Yeah, they're like, no, they, they, they steal all from. Star Trek. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that they nod to their influence that they're going to yeah. steal all their yeah. ideas from. So... As a writer, what can you say about the pacing of this book? Because it stood out to me as like, it's only like, the book is like nine scenes long, and it gets so <laughs> much done. Like, so it's much happens. incredibly well done. This book yeah. is so well done. I was really impressed, actually, by the exposition that they managed to get done in that scene with the Andalite. Like, they managed to introduce all the aliens, the entire conflict, the limitations of the working power, and the thing where he, like, gives an info dump to Tobias is just so handy. Right. But yeah, no, it just, like, zips right along. Because I was younger when I read these the first time, like they always feel really short to me. 
because they are short. I always expect each book to have like more happening before the end, but like they just zoom so quickly. Mm-hmm. They establish the characters super well. Again, just like with their first lines. We knew who all of them were. They were all incredibly memorable in, like, the first scene that they showed up in. Yeah, the thing, like, Marco's first joke where he's, like, kind of like, well, certain, certain people, people aren't good at video it's games. It's so his style. It's perfect. It's like, that was that was the first thing that jumped out reading. It's like, oh, my God, it's Marco. It's Marco. It's like, first I have to say, thing. I think I imprinted really hard on this style of humor. <laughs> This is like how I write banter now. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it was because of Animorphs. It's like when I watch Magic School Bus, I'm like, oh, this is where I got my puns. Yeah, this is where I got my, my humor style. There you go. It's um, not a bad one. I'll take it. One thing I did forget to mention is the trope that I discovered when thinking about this, which is, I'm dying. Please take my MacGuffin. What is the little blue box? Oh, where does it go? <laughs> is it important? What a good question, Greg. Does it come back? <laughs> I can't who, imagine that would ever happen. has it? They each put their hand on one side of a square, and it took me, like, five minutes to realize it's because it was a cube. I'm not very smart. <laughs> I want to get you a shirt that says, I'm dying, please take my MacGuffin. <laughs> Just was so good. We need to have a but store also, for this podcast that includes a shirt with merch. that line on it. Yeah. yeah. Great. It's, like, it's so tropey, and it's all so effective. Like, mm-hmm. the setup is so brilliant. Like, all of the balances of, like why it has to be secret, how much power they have, how much power the Yerks have, like why the Yerks aren't being open with their invasion, which you'll get some more of later. Like it all just like, it forces them into such like wonderful adventures Hmm. and also horrible adventures, but wonderful for us as readers. Right. We should talk about the next one. Gray, you should look at the cover and the title and decide what you think it is about. Great idea. Jenny, what's the title of the second Animorphs book? The Visitor. I won't tell you about the cover because you're going to look it up right now on your computer. One thing that we have not discussed yet Mm -hmm. is the difference between the covers of the original ones that we are all familiar with Mm -hmm. and the re-released covers, which are so much worse. I don't want to talk about them because it's too awful. (laughs) They're really, really bad, you guys. Yeah. I did not not enjoy the cover of the new one that I had. Let's not speak of them again. (laughs) Okay, great. They don't exist. Okay, so The Visitor. Mm Mm-hmm. Animorphs, no one knows who they are, is the subhead for this one. And it is Rachel, obviously, blonde, morphing into a cat. Good deduction. Again, intermediate pictures are completely terrifying. Why (laughs) do they do this? Okay, it's a gray tabby cat, so maybe she's morphing into dude, to Tobias's cat. Do you remember the cat's name, Jenny? I remember the cat's name. Oh, I don't think I remember the cat's name. Man, I'm failing at my uh, memory thing. I guess I already spoiled it. It's not dude. Since it has a different <laughs> okay, name than <yes>. dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the visitor. Um, they've just escaped from the Yerk pool. And, okay, the visitor is going to be... It's not going to be another alien. It's going to be someone trying to convince them that they know about the Yerks or something. But it's going to be a controller. <gasps> okay. I like it. Great premise. All right. Let's read that book. Yeah, great. We'll do it. We'll do that for next time. I'm super excited about it. And that will be next time on Animorphology, The Visitor. Yeah, that's it from us. If you want to find us, we are at Animorphology.com and at Animorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Animorphs eBooks on our website. Are you recording us yet? I am recording us. Okay, great.